Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. Well, Linda just said the opening, our guest, Linda Civitello, and she didn't even know it, but she said, Cindy said, we're talking about food. It's like coming home. And Linda said, Italians talking about food. So there is our intro because, and it just hadn't been recorded yet, because if that isn't the truth, I don't know what it is. Hello, Linda. Welcome. Hello, Denise. And speaking of coming home, I moved in on October 31st on Halloween night of 2020, the middle of the pandemic. I got into my car, my little Honda Civic hatchback, and with the, the things, only the things that were the most important to me, and I drove three 3,100 miles no. back back to Connecticut where I grew up. Oh. And for years I'd been saying, and every time I came back here to the East Coast, I'm a New Yorker pretty much. Yes, I grew up in yes. Connecticut, New Yorker, Boston, but I've been saying, I'm on the wrong coast. I'm on the wrong coast. And Finally, at Thanksgiving 2019, I told my aunt, who was 103 years old, oh my God. that I was going to move back. And she looked at me and she smiled and she said, make it soon. Oh, she died of COVID before oh. I could get back here. Um, one of the reasons I came back is the month she died, I lost four people. Oh, honey. And I kind of went into shock. I knew I was in trouble when I was lying on the couch under a pile of blankets there in Los Angeles in July and (laughs) shivering and freezing. And I turned on the television in the dark. I'm lying in the dark. I'm shivering. I'm freezing. I turn on the TV and they're talking about the terrible heat wave we're having and how it's 92 degrees out. And I went, I am, I'm toast. I'm fried. So I'm happy for you. I knew that Linda, now just we'll do this. And Linda, how long have you and I known each other? 20 years? 25 yeah. Years? Yes. Denise, I have a yes. question. Yes. Yeah. Who flipped the old switch while we weren't looking? I know. I, I, know. I never signed that waiver, Denise. I, <laughs> all I know is it seems like, and this is really, you're so correct about time. It seemed to me. It was only like last week that we were both teaching or about town in Santa Monica, met each other at events. I, I would go to your lectures. Uh-huh. I mean, it what it didn't seem like that long ago. And then, Linda, when you and I were talking recently on Facebook, just in the conversation, and I knew you'd moved, I assumed it was probably back from where you were from. Do you know what I mean? Because that's mm-hmm. another thing that happens. I mean, I get it. I get why you moved back to Connecticut. And do you like it? Well, it's also, I moved back for the intellectual life and for the food. And and let me just tell you, you know, when you ask, why did I move back here? This morning, when I came back to my apartment building from running errands, there were wild turkeys on the lawn. Oh, how fun. Yeah. I mean, there are deer up the street. I don't live in the country. This is yeah, like yeah. living on Venice Boulevard or Boulevard in Los Angeles, you know, and there are signs, there are lakes and everywhere. And there are always signs of little ducks waddling across the road. Be careful. The ducks cross the bridge here. Um, you know, and the food, this is a huge Italian population. Oh, how I could not get this food in Los Angeles. It's not there. Uh, California grows all the vegetables and, yeah. but you can't buy them. You cannot find escarole 
in Southern California. I know. I know. Even exactly. at farmers markets, every once in a while, Wiser Farms had it. Um, but there are things that there's no market for. I there. get it. And it all comes back here. I know. It comes back here. And I, there's a little market up the street from me run by, oh, Italians. <laughs> and, you know, I called up when I first got here. I called up to order some groceries delivered and I put in the order and there was a pause. And then they said, don't you want to get more vegetables? Oh, <laughs> So you know, it's, it's like your family. Yeah. You know, Linda, when I first moved to L.A., I kept thinking from San Francisco, where are all the Italians? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I know exactly. And then I met, I made some friends with Italians that lived in Palos Verdes and in a few places, but I know what you're, I so understand what you're saying. Now, so we've established, we've known each other a long time. I wanted you to come today to talk about, because this is something, uh, your book, your first book, that was your first book, wasn't it? Cuisine and Culture? Was well, that your first book? Uh, I have a credit in another book. Oh, no. What, in the Kirkpatlis book? Helped, I helped in the writing of, yes, The Ragman's Son, the autobiography. I love of that. Douglas. I'd forgotten that until I read your resume yesterday. Yeah. And the reason why, again, it's all just big circles in life. I was working with Ann Douglas when you were helping Kirk Douglas write that book because she was so involved in women, women's homelessness and in shelters really early on in mm -hmm. the crisis in California. So I remember whether it was in passing, you told me, whatever, but that was wonderful. Good for you. So but we, we've been crossing and Oh. You know, circling. I'm sure we were at a lot of events at the same time, but didn't know before we knew each other even, I, you know? You're absolutely right. Now, I want people, are the people that listen to us, um, Linda, are mostly women, some mm -hmm. men, mostly women that are 40 and up, okay? We get, we were shocked when we do analytics and we have some younger women, but I think it's because we talk about food and careers. Mm -hmm. So when your book came out, Cuisine and Culture, I remember, I mean, to me, it's a, a landmark book, okay? Oh. I don't, it's a landmark book. I never, and you and I both taught at UCLA. You taught at UCLA, didn't you? I know you taught at the art. I was a teaching assistant okay. when I was in the PhD program. Got it. And I taught at UCLA Extension. Yes. Yeah. Me too. Well, I never... And then in my own books, Linda, I never taught a class about food. I don't care what it was, cooking, anything, without putting your book on the reading list. Because, oh, oh yeah, no, no, no. I didn't know that. Thank oh, you. absolutely. Cuisine and culture. So tell us, if you would, and people, it's still available. It's in what? In its third edition on Amazon. People can still buy it. And tell us how that book came apart, uh, uh, around, if you would. Okay. Well, first, I just want to say it's at the time it was written, that oh. was the best information I had. And it's all footnoted. Um, yes. But I, I'm just a lucky, lucky person. I fell into this. I was teaching. I was in the master's degree program in history, American history at UCLA, and I was also teaching high school in Santa Monica and they 
sent out, there was an email from UCLA saying that a culinary school in Pasadena was looking for someone to teach a class on the history of food. And they said, there's no textbook, but there are notes from the instructor. You know, and I thought, you know, I've always been interested in food. I have some food history books, the Mystic Seaport Cookbook, uh, Barbara Wheaton's Savoring the Past, which is the real, one of the first real scholarly books uh, yes. and fascinating also. I mean, you, yes. you know, just uh, journalistic and but fascinating about food in France. And I went out to interview and I thought, oh, you know, these are culinary people, they're chefs. They're not academic people. They don't know how to do research. There's, of course, there's a textbook. There's a book around somewhere. They just haven't found it. And that was when I was absolutely stunned. There was no book. Yes. There was no comprehensive book on the history of food. And this was in 2000, not that long ago. No, not that long ago. Right. So what we had had was around the country, we had... Uh, culinary groups, culinary history groups spring up, like the Culinary Historians of Boston was the first group. And then we had Culinary Historians of Southern California. Yes. And, and these were chefs and amateurs and people who had written books. It was just people who were interested in food and food. Charles Perry from the LA Times. Absolutely. Was, Charles was Charles the was founder huge. of the And Southern you know, the group still alive. It's small, yes, but it's yes. still alive. And if people want to know about it, culinary history, Nancy, yeah, Nancy and Richard yes. Foss, very involved yes. and they have speakers groups. Anyway, so I started creating a program uh, um, from notes, from things, from just questions I had. And one of the chefs came to me and she said, I mentioned you to our book rep the for all the you know the huge heavy professional cookbooks yeah. which the culinary institute of america cookbooks uh, you know how to bake i mean these books are like you know 1500 pages they're yes. enormous yes. and they're very technical and they cover everything in the world and they were coming out of john wiley and sons which is one of the earliest publishers in the united states and an excellent publisher and um, so this chef told me, she said, I mentioned you to our Wiley rep that you were teaching this class. And the next thing I know, Wiley called me. I mean, with all of this talk about people, how do I break into publishing? How do I do this? How do I, it's like, I'm sitting different there in the world, phone ring. It was a different world. Yeah. But, and I said to um, the person on the other end, I said, I know why you're interested in me, uh, I said, because historians don't know anything about food and chefs don't know anything about history and <laughs> I'm the missing link. Good. And they said, yeah, that's it. So I was the missing link and writing that first book was daunting because I, I mean, there were people who were ahead of me. I had to find them, uh, Andy Smith always Andy oh, Smith yes, who has written course. I don't know how many dozens of books and put together food history conferences and is a giant in the food yes. history world um he was a member of the culinary historians of New York so I just kept doing research until I found 
people who were talking about other people I'd, I'd read and I went, that's it. I've hit bedrock here. Gotcha. Um, so the, I think that came out in 2003 and then as more information and feedback from people, it was, it was intended for use in culinary schools. Yes. So 2007 was the second edition. The third one was 2011. And the third one was, I ripped the structure apart, um, included more things. It was a full, like writing a whole other book, but um, Los Angeles, Los Angeles was the biggest help of all, because if you have to write a book about the history of food in the world, I don't know of a better place. You know, I'm researching it and I'm going, okay, do I eat at this, the Indonesian restaurant down the street or the one around the corner? Um, gotcha. You know, do I go to which Thai town do I go to? Um, do I go to little Saigon? I mean, in people don't understand that the immigration boom in California was so huge that you know, everybody's like a hundred years ago, New York, New York, everything went vertical in New York. In California, you you have a little Saigon has its own freeway exit. You know what, Linda? This is such great information, especially I have to tell you for all listeners, but I say this to people that live in LA that are friends of mine that have lived here all their lives. I'll say, have you ever gone to little Saigon? They'll go, oh no, I've meant to. Or I said, have you been to Thai town? Oh, no, I've meant to. I said, okay, I have to tell you something. You can eat all over the world authentic food and just get off a freeway exit here in L.A. This is right. or not or not even leave Los Angeles. That's right. That's your you know, absolutely Koreatown right. Korea is, is huge. Um, you know, Indian, Indian food everywhere yes. and not just Indian, but regional Indian. Yes. You know, do you want vegan Indian? Do you want vindaloo? Do you want pork vindaloo, which comes from the Portuguese conquering yes. the city of Goa because Indians don't eat pork, you know, but Portuguese did. That's that's why I oh I have to, you know what, Linda, I'm gonna go to Amazon and get the third edition of your book. You said several things that I have to stop you for a minute. One, some of our listeners and our audience have written books, and then they may have the opportunity to do it again. Do you know what I mean? A, a, another edition. Mm -hmm. I've done several editions of my catering book, but I have to tell you, if they wanted one now, I'd have to rip the whole book apart like you you just mentioned. And I know for me, I don't have the energy anymore. Do you, I mean, you know, it's... I mean, it's not just the energy. I, I've lost, I don't have the interest in it anymore. You know what? Here, here's what I think it is. And I think this speaks to women our age. Yes. We don't care anymore about pleasing people. <laughs> well, you know, I don't have that. to go out and do that. Yeah. I don't have to do that to prove something to you about myself. That's right. Boy, you just said it. Well, I look for, I'm going to buy though your third edition because that sounds fantastic. And that's, I know what you're saying. It's so much people, we talk about writing books and publishing and stuff a lot because a lot of the people who are my guests have written cookbooks or have been in food. People don't know how hard it is to write a book. It, it's uh -huh. an enormous 
investment of time and stuff like that. But Linda, when you said one thing, and this is just the difference, fast forward in our society, people always say to me, well, how did you, how did you get your first book published? The same thing, Linda, they called me. Okay. Hmm. The publisher called me because we're sisters. It was different. In those days, they went to the Cook's Library and they called UCLA Extension where I taught. And my name kept coming up mm-hmm. about catering. So that I got the book deal. And then I sold that publisher a second book. But a lot of the books, I mean, as almost all of my books, I created it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I, I called them and they accepted me. I hadn't even put proposals in on one or two of them. So I haven't done what people are doing now. And I know, I mean, it's the internet and blogging changed, you know, just made a massive shift in publishing. That's all it comes down to. And took out a lot of the quality control. That's what publishing with a reputable publisher is about. It's quality control and it's still, you know, with the best intentions and four, five, six pairs of eyes on things, there are still things that make it through that you wish you'd done a little differently or that um, are not not quite true. Somebody leaves out the word not somewhere, um, you're in big trouble, but it's a long process. It's it's months. It's, it's, it's months. May eight, nine months or so from the time you turn in that finished manuscript to when the book shows up. And That's during right. that time, you're going through typesetting. You know, when I hit that process on the first book, um, I I didn't like it. I still don't like it because I'm interested in learning and writing. And when I'm done, then I'm, I'm done with that. I the rest it. of it is is mechanical and the publisher said well but people usually find this very exciting and I said why you're looking at a typeface or looking at you know hello I was right when I said that the first time I'm writing stat here on this piece of paper it's like don't change that I'm right you didn't understand what I was saying you know and I I have no I'd like I'd like to be on to the next project I have to tell you that's so funny you should say that when And as publishing changed, even in my own books, but, you know, Cindy and I wrote a lot of celebrity cookbooks. We Mm -hmm. made money writing other people's books. People say, oh, so you were the ghostwriter. Well, not exactly. Most of the time we did all the recipe testing and stuff, wrote the headers, but a writer would write the rest of the book for the author. Do you know what I mean? For the, Mm -hmm. so we were doing all the recipes and, but then we would, um, manage the websites when those started to show and we would answer questions for people but what i what was hard and exactly what you said when all of a sudden editing changed i mean publishing changed and we're talking about people that sold a million books in a month on qvc okay so they were going to sell a lot of books but we started getting editors that would say things like oh i i wouldn't use the word saute (laughs) we'd say what word do you want to use? They'd say fry. Let's just say fry. I'd say, but fry and saute is not the same thing. And they'd say, oh, yes, it is. The pan gets hot and you put the food in there. So it became, yeah, it became, and you know, that was all part of it. It became, it just became more difficult. That's all I was going to, it was just, again, the world. Now, I don't want to say it's 
better or worse, but I look at stuff now and, or my favorite is Linda, talk about an old crone. People will refer me to a book and I'll say, oh, so-and-so. And I'll say, Patricia Wells did that 20 years ago. <laughs> or if you look at, if you look at Julia's third book, that's all covered in there. I mean, I, 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 it just, it amazes me what passes now, but never mind. See, I sound like a bitter old crone and that's not what I want to well, do. I think the level <laughs> where, no, you don't sound bitter at all. It's, you know, we have acquired this knowledge and, you know, you hope it gets used for something, but I think the level we're at now is, uh, is Vegas that's where I was so shocked the first time I went there, uh, everywhere else in the world, in America, where there's a door, where there's someplace you need to go out of, it says E X I A I T, exit. In Vegas, it says out. Yeah. <laughs> and you know that's what? the level we're at now. I'll tell you this. Well, thank you, Linda. I like the way you said that. <laughs> Reading your resume, you sent me your CV. Reading it, Linda, I said to Cindy yesterday, I said, okay. It's daunting how much education and how much how much education you have acquired yourself and researched and then um, taught to other people. I mean, your speaking engagements, Linda, are extraordinary. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's no, just- I don't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, because when you're doing it, you've moved on. And I don't think you realize how many articles you've written or how many people you've educated. That's what I'm trying to say. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I guess I haven't. Actually, one of the, the well, I was teaching a few months ago at the Culinary Institute in Pasadena, ICE, actually, ICE. The yes, Institute it's ICE now. Education. Yes. History of restaurants. So it's like, okay, I've got to go look at that. And there's, there are really only one or two books and about restaurants. And this is interesting because you're from San Francisco. Yes. And the thing everybody says about the gold rush is, and the Chinese came and they got, you know, squeezed out, pushed out because of racism and other things. They weren't allowed to go into the gold fields. So they opened restaurants. Yes. Well, it makes sense to us in America. We go, okay, a lot of immigrants come, they open restaurants. Restaurants didn't exist. The Chinese opened restaurants because there was a history of restaurants and very sophisticated restaurants in China. Yes. The Chinese invented the restaurant. And we all think it was the French came after the French Revolution. A lot of it was. But again, this is how are you teaching American history? Are you teaching American history from east to west, which was yes. always the way, you know, Harvard and Yale were at the center of teaching history. And Americans got in the covered wagons and they moved west. And then you get a woman named Patricia Limerick who comes along in the 1990s, 80s and says, hello, the West developed on its own before you know the railroad showed up yes. in 1869 and this is something you look at is this large chinese population and these restaurants that were so elaborate they were yes. doing what they knew from china yeah you know linda when you say that it's because i've been to china and when i was there which was right before Tiananmen square so that tells you about it was in the 80s but i have to tell you something when you're living in China for a while and you go to Shanghai, which was the Paris of the, you know, of China and stuff. When you see how long the Chinese have been leading the world in so many things, but never ever given credit for it. 
Do you know what I mean? The art and the, it, it, that's fascinating. You're right about San Francisco. I knew some of what you said because, um, because I live there and I, you know, I've been going to Chinatown since I was a little girl. So, and I've listened, and there've been some wonderful series of articles in the San Francisco Chronicle now about Chinatown. And, and you're absolutely right about how it almost, it was, Honey, it was it was burnt out. It was they did a million horrible things to Chinatown. Then after the earthquake, they didn't want the Chinese to be able to rebuild. And mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's well, the Chinese. We have a law. We have a law called the yes. Chinese Exclusion Act. Yes, you know which, um, and we have writers talking about how sad this is. It's like you know people with push carts going back to the seaports, uh, you know, being kicked out. One of the only times we ever see Chinese in the West is in Bonanza, the cook, yeah. top thing. Now, okay, now just a right. minute. Now, Linda, you don't know this. Did you know that Bonanza is my favorite TV show through the dun, history dun, dun, of my dun, life? Dun, 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 Bonanza. I have watched. That's copyrighted. You know, it I runs all the time. It's still on at two o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, I know. I record it. But I need you to know something. I I don't want to I don't want to overwhelm you with my credentials. But I have seen all 140 487 episodes plus the movies. Well, Bonanza was our. I'm an expert on Bonanza. No, I love Bonanza too, um, Little Joe. And it was our treat on Saturday night. Our parents gave us. There were three of us. You know, we had our baths. Our parents gave us our baths. We got in our clean jammies. Some of us with the little ones with the feet. And then they gave us a shot of Manischewitz blackberry wine oh, to mellow us out and parked us in front of the TV to watch Bonanza. Oh, that's hysterical. That sounds, that is so funny. I can't stand it. Okay, now listen, with all of a sudden, so cuisine and culture. And there was no book in 2003 that was like yours that you were writing. No. And you've taught it in culinary schools. And I'm thrilled. When I went to culinary school in the 80s, Linda, no one talked about the history of restaurants. There was no history at all. Do you know any other than French? You're absolutely right. Do you know right. why? Other, why? Because this goes back to ancient Greece. The census the philosophers who were talking about the senses and the importance of the body, the eyes are important. The eyes are the windows to the soul. The eyes are the way that information comes into the brain. So the eyes are connected with higher functions. Food is connected with taste and smell, oh. which are lower bodily functions. We didn't even have legitimate, I mean, for real academic scientists looking at the olfactory senses, taste, and smell until I think the first Nobel was in the 90s, Ah, maybe. I mean, it's very recent that very these recent. were looked at as legitimate areas of study, wow. you know, because taste is never going to pass a law and gotcha. smell, smell is never going to write a book. Gotcha. That's, Linda, that's fascinating. When you watch what's happened with your background. And when you see, see, when I look at, at pasta gran, grannies, and we had Vicki on our, on this podcast, she mm -hmm. was lovely. It was just a brilliant idea 
Do you know what I mean? She's savoring history by putting these women on her YouTube channel. That's what it's, it really is. It's like cooking with Nona. That's right. Another. That's exactly right. And now there's just a wave of them. Do you know what I mean? There's this, and mm -hmm. really Stanley Tucci is his show, his two seasons were the same thing. It's really food history, but they've dressed it up in a different dress. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I say this, Linda, because I cannot tell you, and I know because I talked to you once during this time, at one point, the History Channel wanted, this is many years ago, this is almost 15 years ago, they were, I proposed to the Food History Channel because I'd done a little work for them and they liked me. And I said, you should do the a food history, a whole series of, and I brought your book to them. I remember we talked about it because I told you, you may have forgotten, but it's okay because the show didn't sell. But I thought the History Channel, you know, and it wasn't going to be in depth, but we were going to hit the high points. Do you know what I mean? In a four part series. Mm -hmm. And of course, then it didn't sell and they didn't, they didn't buy it. But, you know, I, and then high on the hog recently with high on the hog in the African American community. I mean, that's food history. That's yes. what it is. Yes. So it's things are being dressed up in a, um, not using the word history so much. Do you know what I mean? And they're selling them in a different medium, but it's still the same thing. It's cuisine and culture. It's exactly what you said. Well, and it's also my other book, Baking Powder Wars, because- Yes, which we're we, gonna talk about. Yeah, we are the most militaristic society ever in the history of the world. And look at television. Everything is in terms of war, the Coca-Cola wars, the Chevy Ford wars. Everything yes. is war, war, war. In fact, I actually, I've been making notes for an article called Without Guns, We Have No Entertainment. Okay. Now, I, I, that's <laughs> fabulous. You could not be more correct. And you know, this is very interesting when you just say this again. Last night I was watching and it's, of course, I won't remember the correct name and but it's all about Gina Davis and the history of women directors in Hollywood and why there's so little history of with and so few women directors getting big jobs because it's all through the vision of men who portray war, <laughs> war and guns so that men feel good about themselves. Yeah. They create the John Wayne well, in every irony, single generation. Yeah, the irony, of course, is when you go back to early films in the late 20s, early 30s, you have Frances Marion. I know. Was the highest paid writer in Hollywood. And from the book that I'm still working on, Food and Film from Prohibition to James Bond, um, Frances Marion invented the prison mess hall riot. Okay. Which yeah. is just such a classic now. It's in, you know, every yeah. prison movie. But she wrote that. She went to San Quentin or okay. Folsom. She oh did God. research up there and based characters, the men, on people she met up there and then put this in because there's an early movie about Sing Sing from about 1915. There's no mess hall. There's no, yeah. there's nothing like this. It's all from okay. this movie from, from um, Francis Marion and based on a real riot that happened at Folsom prison. All right. Now you answered the question. I'm so glad to hear that you're still working on your food in film book. 
it said, I want you to do it. Now, you know what, Linda, what's changed? You could, Gina Davis, Gina Davis, um, Reese Witherspoon, these women have money and they have grants and they, and they have their own money. They should publish that book. What was, I'll, I have it to finish it. I'm going to finish it after we finish our podcast today, but I need to say this. Talking about women directors, because you dropped it, and the, the writers, before talkies, the biggest, the amount of writers and women that were directors were almost even with men, okay? Then talkies came in, and then the DGA came in. In 1936, the Directors Guild came in, and they basically just stopped letting women in. Well, there was also biggest factor perhaps the depression because in the 20s okay. in the, the teens in the 20s you had male producers saying it's like just go out they didn't care who made the movie the technology was new nobody yes. nobody knew what was going on but then when you get into the depression women got thrown out of everything absolutely yes, they right. got thrown you're out right. of government jobs this was the time when if a woman teacher was not married she had to stay not married to keep her job because and in lots of businesses. If a woman got married, then she lost her job. The idea was that she was taking a job that a man needed. There's always, the idea throughout history has always been that there's some man lurking, there's some man around to take care of every woman and her elderly mother and her children, maybe. You know, so yeah, not the reality, but the idea is that, you know, Men should have the jobs. Women should stay home. And there you go. And I never did that. So there you go. You know there what you I go. remember about me? Here's my favorite story about me, Denise, and film when Please. I was younger. I am standing tall and proud on a good day, four feet 11. Okay. <laughs> and one of the things I used to be able to do was there's a sandbag called a big Bertha. And you use it to hold down lights when there's a wind and stuff. And I remember them saying, we need a big Bertha over here. And I would pick up this 50 pound sandbag in one hand and run across the set with it. That impressive. <laughs> oh, listen, when we broadcast the podcast, Cindy, so the everybody that follows us and listens to us and it's on our website and it's on our Facebook page, all your information, all the incidentals that you give us, Linda, so that people can reach out to you if they want to. And I want to thank you so much for your time today. It was just, it's fascinating. I could talk to you all day long. Yeah, I, I could listen to you. I'd love to listen to you all day long. <laughs> oh, I thank you so much. It's Women Beyond a Certain Age. If you want to reach Cindy and I, you go to womenbeyond at icloud.com. Again, Linda's book, cuisine and culture. And I'll tell you for all the people that have been in food that are listening to us, cause we get a lot, we have a lot of retired personal chefs and chefs. If you never had time when you were working to read her book, now is the time. Linda, it couldn't be more timely. I think it's exactly what people are looking for, especially in our society today. Thank you, Denise. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Cindy, for always keeping the, the train on the tracks. And Linda, I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Linda, so much for being our guest today. Thank you.